evening, everyone. I hope everyone had an awesome weekend. Um, I sprained my thumb on Saturday. It feels really weird, and um, I'm having a hard time um, doing everything but typing. And I realized um, that I use my left thumb for my space bar, which is good because I sprained my right thumb, and I actually don't use my right thumb to type much, which is awesome since it doesn't um, hurt to write. But using my mouse is kind of agonizing, and cooking is... (sighs) I overcooked my eggs this morning. It was really upsetting. Um... Anyways, uh, my husband cooked dinner, which was good. Um, It was very good. We had steak and um, mashed potatoes and Brussels sprouts. It was awesome. Um, But um, I couldn't, there was no way I could have done all that because it was just fucking killing me. I don't even know how I I did it. I have no idea how I sprained my thumb. Is that weird? I'm sure that's weird. I don't even, I got no clue. I, I don't even, I don't even understand how I did it. It hurts from the the plump part of my thumb all the way up to the first knuckle. And I have no idea how I did it. Yeah, the the Brussels sprouts were roasted with garlic. Awesome. Very good. Um and we had filet for the steak and um we had mashed potatoes and um with Philadelphia cream cheese in them and it was so good. Uh but um, not particularly healthy because of the cream cheese. But there's always room for cream cheese. That's my new my new saying. There's there's always room for cream cheese. I anyways, I've been um this thing this um topic for the show. I actually used to have a T-shirt that said that that I lie for a living. And people would stop me and ask me what it meant. And so it was really fun to wear it because I would talk about my writing whenever somebody stopped to ask me about it. Um, And people thought it was really funny and cute. But here's a side of being a writer that I think a lot of people aren't aware of. And I'm not saying that every writer is this way. I'm just saying that um, I rarely encounter a writer who, who isn't this way. I don't often encounter a writer who isn't a very good liar. In fact, one of the best writers I know, I would say without a doubt, she's pathological. (laughs) I mean, she can tell you a lie to your face and you'll be like, that didn't happen. Maybe it did. I don't know. I'm going to go. She make you doubt yourself because she's so good at it. And I, like I said, I rarely encounter a really good writer who isn't also a really good liar. I mean, just an outrageously good liar. They can spin a story, and you'll be thinking to yourself, did that, that, maybe that happened, maybe it didn't happen, I don't know, I'm confused, I'm worried now. Um, And it's a thing. It's a thing. Um, I, uh... I've been telling stories since I was a little girl, Uh, but storytelling kind of runs in my family. Um, As I had mentioned before, you know, many times is that storytelling um, is kind of, you know, uh, an integral part of family interaction. And um, somebody always has a new story to tell or uh, speaking of which um, that story I told you guys last week about, you know, my, my new Aunt Claire. Um, 
I heard the story from my second cousin who asked me how long I was in jail. I, I told you it would happen. I told you. She called me. She says, oh, my God, why didn't you call and tell me you were in jail? I'd have bailed you out. I can't wait to meet Aunt Claire. <laughs> so by the time it got to her, I'd actually been arrested in Kroger. <laughs> so I had to tell her, no, I wasn't actually arrested. But you go ahead and tell that version that you heard when you when the, the next time you want to tell it. Because it's more entertaining <laughs> that I actually got arrested. <laughs> Aunt Claire and I um, are going grocery shopping on Wednesday. She called. And we're going to go together. It'll be fun. Oh, I messed up on the show. Thanks for pointing that out. Because um, it's supposed to be two hours. Oops. Yeah, um, it'll turn over. I fixed it. <laughs> I don't even know what happened there. I don't even know. I don't, I don't know how I managed to do that. Once I did it for an hour by accident. But I've, I've never left it at 15 minutes before. Because 15 minutes is the um, minimum you can do a show. Or that you can sign up for a show. I can end the episode anytime I want. But when you, when it comes to scheduling, the, the most you can do is 15. Or the least you can do is 15. Um, so anyways. But yeah, so it's already gotten to my second cousins. And um, I was arrested and, and, and had to post bail. So charges pending. I can't wait for the trial part to, um, to, to be entered into it. It'll be awesome. But, see, that's the nature of a story in a family. I mean, it, it takes on a life of its own. And, um, you know, honestly, it's almost like fan fiction at a certain point because um, there will come a time when people will actually argue over what actually happened. And even my word won't matter. I'll be like, no, that really didn't happen. We don't know. Don't be embarrassed that you went to jail. <laughs> and they won't believe me either. Ten years down the road, I'll have served, I don't know, a thousand hours community service for, <laughs> for, <laughs> for causing a riot in Kroger. <laughs> and no one will believe me when I say I didn't. That's just the way it'll be, you know. And I think that's pretty true um, in big families in the South, Um Anytime. Oh yeah, um, there will be an assault charge eventually thrown in there that w- that will get thrown out because of justice. Um, and um, so yeah, so I've already been to jail in this story. So my uncle called, said, "Well, let me know if you need a lawyer." <laughs> because he's a lawyer. <laughs> I was like, I don't need a lawyer. I didn't get arrested. He said, if that's what you want to go with, honey. I was like, oh, God, okay, I'll call you if I need a lawyer. <laughs> Just, that's my life right there. That is my life. Anyways, um, I really um, don't particularly have a, a, a topic in case you missed it. Uh, I just, I don't know. I don't know what to talk about. I don't know where to go with it. Um, <laughs> so, um, what's good to know? Dark Sphinx said that region has nothing to do with it. I'm from Canada, and this shit happens in my family. I'm assuming. I'm assuming you said shit in those little stars that got uh, uh, censored. Um, but that's good to know. Um, 
because I would hate to think that my whole family is just big one big lion pack of people, <clears throat> which is entirely possible uh, and fun. It, it, it's really fun. But the, uh, but the other side of it is is y- you never really know what's true and what's not. And, you know, honestly, at some point in my life, they will have told this story so many times that I will begin to doubt what actually happened. As you do. Because have you ever told yourself a lie so much that it starts to feel true? It's like you're brainwashing yourself into believing something is true. Like, I used to work this job, and I hated this job. But every day I would get myself, okay, it's going to be better today, it's going to be better today. And so that was the truth for me, that today would be better. Today would be better. And it was never better. But that's how I got myself out of the bed for that stupid job. Yes, the chat room is censored, and I know that's ridiculous considering. Um, you would think that since I marked my show rated R that they wouldn't um, censor my show. You'd be mistaken. Or they, they, they wouldn't censor my chat room. Um, it, they don't care. Um. Yeah, you can't say shit or dick, but you can say cock. Too much brownie at once. I took a ginormous bite. But I'm entering that stage in my cycle where chocolate, it was too much in my mouth at once. Um, I meant to nibble and I took a whole mouthful because it's chocolate. I think if you name your kid cock, you, you should end up in jail for child abuse. That's emotional child abuse right out of the gate. Seriously. Anyways, <clears throat> I'm going to make Julie talk to me tonight. Since I don't got shit to talk about, maybe she will. So you, your timing was, like, perfect, I guess. Marginally, you almost caught me screaming as a fly flew up my nose. Um, <laughs> that would have been awesome. I totally feel like I missed out. <laughs> I was like, what the oh, hell? My life is Who hard. needs a head on collision with a nostril? That's just not the way life is supposed to end. Oh. <laughs> yeah, he's going um, to get shit for that in, in the bug afterlife. <laughs> you know... So this is terrible. I don't know why I participated in this, but the, you talk about the lying thing. So one of the companies I worked for uh, long ago, this this guy I worked with, I, he he and his wife had just moved over. I want to say from South Korea, but I could have the country wrong. And he told me that his wife, you remember when whitening creams were very, like the focus of beauty, like everyone was whitening their skin? Mm-hmm. So he tells me, that she is obsessed with wanting to buy these creams, which I thought was really actually very unfortunate, but that they're really expensive. Um, but he wanted me to help him play a prank on her um, to tell her that, now I'm very, very fair, um, but he wanted me to try to convince her that um, I'm as fair as I am because of whitening creams. 
and how effective they are. <laughs> and I cannot even begin to tell you why I went along. He said, I said, how am I going to bring whitening creams up in conversation? That's just terrible. He said, oh, trust me, she'll bring it up. She always brings it up. So this is at the company Christmas party, which we, I was in a small company at the time. Um, we probably had like 45, 50 people at the Christmas party. And um, he's right. We're like there like an hour when she starts talking about whitening cream. And I get to going on this spiel about, oh, I use those. And I even researched what brands and stuff I used. And I just went on this tale about how they work so great and, you know, that I'm actually a lot older than I look. I think I was like 25, 26 at the time, that I'm actually like 36 years old and my face used to be covered <laughs> Liver spots, <laughs> liver <laughs> spots, and it, and it worked so well, and I didn't have to wear makeup anymore to cover all of these horrible brown spots in my face. It just, I just went on and on and on. And the thing is, everybody in the room believed me. <laughs> everybody, everybody, and my, and when we finally, when we, the only, and um, my sister worked for the same company, and she's sitting there just kind of. I told her I was going to be playing a joke on somebody, but I didn't tell her what the joke was going to be. And she's sitting there just kind of staring at me funny. I'm like, this is the, how can anybody believe this? But she's kind of trying to keep a neutral expression. And this woman looks at my sister and she says, really, it, it helped her that much? And my sister goes, she is who she is today because of those Like the president of the company stopped his conversation and is paying attention to me extolling the virtues of whitening creams for getting rid of liver spots on the 23-year-old. I mean, it was terrible. I just said nothing, and this is going to be over at some point. And his, um, her husband, the guy who asked me to play this prank on her, he had to leave the room because he started to laugh. And so he's in the kitchen cracking up because everybody is buying into this. And finally, and people are like, you know, I got to go get, you know, you got to give me the name of this stuff. I got to go get this. And I was like, okay, this is enough. This is enough. This this gag is over. This gag is done. I cannot let you guys all run out of here and spend 150 bucks on cream <laughs> that I have never <laughs> touched in my life. <sighs> oh, terrible. I'd have been furious with him if I was her. I'd have been furious. Actually, I, 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 she seemed okay, but I pulled her aside later, you know, and I said, you know, I'm not going to tell you what to do with your life, you know, but I just want to tell you I think you're lovely the way you are, and I don't think you need to whiten up your skin, sweetie. You are beautiful, so. Mm, 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 mm. <laughs> Yeah, but I was, when we were kids, I was the designated, I was, huh? Liver spots at 23. I know, it's terrible. But I had, my boss knew how old I was, but he was actually sitting there questioning whether or not I had lied on my application about my age. And what the ramifications, <laughs> he told me later, he was trying to know what the ramifications would be if he had to confront me, because he said it wasn't the first time someone had revealed something they shouldn't in a public place, you know, about lying at work and that they had to then deal with it later, right? And I was like, (laughs) 
So he's sitting there trying to calculate. He's like, am I going to have to confront her about the fact that she lied on her employment application? I mean, it's probably better that she's older than younger, you know, considering. But it was just like, because they had kind of questioned that I was too young for the job anyway. But, um, (laughs) But it's like everybody, so when I was a kid, if somebody had to convince the adults of something, I was the designated liar because I could pull it off. I could do it with a straight face. It was terrible. Uh, the problem is once my family cottoned on to that, they stopped believing me. So when I told them that, like, one of my cousins got his head stuck in a bike chain, they totally didn't buy it. <laughs> like, Whoops. you kids just want to get back in the house to, you know, because you remember when you kids, we were all banished outside for some weird reason, yeah. you know, for like eight or nine hours of the day. It's like, get your asses outside <laughs> and don't come back. I was like, you guys just want back inside. <laughs> No, his head really is stuck in the bike chain. <laughs> I can't exactly wheel him here. over here and prove it. Yeah, issues. You need to come help. <laughs> but when I was very young, I was like four or five years old, um, my cousins convinced me to tell a lie, but I didn't know what lie to tell, so they told me what what to say. So I stood there with a straight face and told my grandma and their mothers and my mother that we'd all been abducted by aliens. <laughs> That's why we were late coming home. Because we'd been outside for hours and we had missed lunch. And it was a big deal to miss lunch because grandma would get really upset, right? And so I was sitting there and said, and there were four aliens. I had the whole thing planned out. The whole thing planned out for me. So I told this whole story with the straightest face possible and the most earnest expression I could. And they're all just staring at me. (laughs) (laughs) And my grandma says, okay, okay. Okay, <laughs> she just walked away, <laughs> and that was it. I'm gonna let this one slide because you're so earnest about even. this. I can't even. <laughs> but I was like dead serious, as I blamed aliens for us being late for lunch. Because <laughs> <laughs> Grandma, I told them what we were gonna be late for lunch, and they didn't care. <laughs> I did. did they tell I did. You the I, I really she asked did. what the aliens wanted. <laughs> she didn't have any questions. I, I don't think she could have actually asked me a question without dying. I mean, because you could just sit. And, and I can see their faces in my mind now. I'm thinking, oh my God, how do they maintain that? Because there's no way I'd have been laughing my ass off. <laughs> yeah, the, uh, Dark Serafina is saying they blame wild animals in Canada. I'd have been like, the moose did it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you see, it was like this, <laughs> which is about how every single story I told as a child started. You see, it was like this. <laughs> and then <laughs> aliens, badgers, it didn't really matter what it was at that point because it was going to be a big fat lie. So, yeah. 
But my sister was a terrible liar. She was terrible. I mean, there was no point in even asking her to come up with an excuse because, number one, it would be ridiculous, and number two, she wouldn't be able to tell it. And then my cousin Stan, if you asked him a direct question, he would get stone-faced and look away because he couldn't think of an excuse or a reason or a lie. And he'd be like, Can I go sit in the corner? <laughs> he would just go sit in the corner. He just put himself in the corner. Just, he put himself in the corner more as a child than any adult ever did. Because <laughs> he'd rather be in the corner than be, than be put on the spot and made to tell a lie. Because <laughs> he couldn't do it. My sister was a terrible liar, too. She would, um, she just, something, it's like she would leak guilt. I don't know. I don't even know how to explain it, you know? It was like, it was just all over her, you know? Something in her body language changed, her facial expression. It was just like, she'd be doing it so earnestly, and it was just like, the the key to lying well is you can't feel bad about it. (laughs) You feel bad later, but you can't feel bad while you're doing it, you know? I actually told her that literally when I was a kid. Feel guilty later. <laughs> Get to feel bad later. <laughs> Once, I just, my my grandma. You know, I grew up in a time period when when getting your ass whooped was was it, it was going to happen eventually. And once I had broken something on purpose, and my, and my grandma saw me do it, um, and she told me to go get a switch. Now, anybody who's ever had to pick out their own switch, it's bullshit. Because if you get one that's too whippy, it's going to hurt. But if you get one that's brittle and it breaks, they're going to get mad at you and make you go get another one. So there's just no there's just no winning when you got to pick out your own switch, right? So mm-hmm. I went over there, there no. and I tried to break one off, and it wouldn't break off. And I tried and tried and tried. And I came back and I said, I can't, I, I can't get it to break off. And she said, really? And I said, yeah, I think that means that God doesn't want you to spank me. <laughs> And she was like, go to your room. So I went to my room, and, yeah, I got out of spanking. (laughs) God didn't want me to get spanking. My, 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 my grandmother was very religious, but even as a child, I, I really didn't um, see a lot of sense in it. But um, I would throw it out in a heartbeat to get out of a spanking. Whatever it took. I don't think Jesus would like this, Grandma. Probably the worst I've ever lied in my life. And part of, part of the reason was because I did feel horrible about it. But it was one of those things, it was kind of like a prank, but it wasn't really intended to be a prank, but it kind of got out of control. And it was like massive emotional trauma at the end of it. And you guys are going to think I'm a horrible person at the end of this story. So um, <laughs> I, think I, was, I think I was nine. I was about nine. And well, I never, we I all never liked that shit when we're kids. Yeah. Well, this okay. is really fucked up. So like, I thought, and I kind of alluded to this 
you know, in a, I use this to somebody. Somebody did this to a sibling, and they're in one of my stories. And people probably thought, where the hell did you get that from? True story in this one. So, I hated Barbie dolls. I mean, I couldn't stand them. Um, but it seemed like everybody kept giving me Barbie dolls. And so I'm like nine or ten years old, and I've got all these dolls. I got a Ken doll. I got a Skipper doll. I've got multiple Barbie dolls, and I hate these fucking things. And um, I started removing the shoelaces from my shoes. Like, none of my shoes had shoelaces because I was, like, tying up Barbie. And I would put, you know, uh, seriously, I'm getting into bondage when I'm 10 years old. (laughs) And I have my entire Barbie family in bondage. Naked bondage, mind you. Fuck the clothes. I'm going to get you guys naked and tie you up. So... Shoelaces all gone. So I started, but I started getting interested in tying things, right? So I started t- trying to learn different kinds of knots and stuff. And my grandfather was helping me with how to tie knots, and we had some little bit of rope. And I start. So my brother asked me to tie a noose. So I do. And then another one, and another one, and another one. And mind you, we're going through a lot of rope because I'm noosing. I'm right, like tying all these. And at first, I didn't know what the hell he was doing. But he was noosing all of my sister's stuffies and her Cabbage Patch dolls. All of them. (laughs) (sighs) And there's like, I don't know, it was carnage by the time he was done. He's such a little sociopath back then. It was absolutely terrible. There must have been 50 stuffed animals. And cabbage patch dolls that had been noosed by the end of this whole thing. And some of them, he actually got a bunch of them hanging from the ceiling in her bedroom. Oh, so, no. It was terrible. <laughs> it was absolutely terrible. It was like, I don't know, her bedroom was a scene of some horrible carnage. Did, so he, lynch, she, no, did he lynch your Barbies, too? Um, no, he didn't lynch Barbies. She didn't have Barbies. So, um, And I wasn't letting him out. Nobody was opening up my Barbie dream castle <laughs> Finding Ken tied to the Barbie dream bed. <laughs> it was not happening. So, um, <laughs> I eventually find dark, out that this is... Dark in the chat room know? says no one expects the stuffy Inquisition. <laughs> My brother and I were just... Uh, so, we get to... I finally go check out what he's doing with all these nooses, and I was a little bit... And I don't... I don't... I have, like, no reaction to it, but, like, huh... <laughs> Uh-huh. And mind you, I'm in trouble because there's now no rope. <laughs> this is unfortunate. Like, gone through all of my father's rope at this point. And my sister comes home from playing with her friends, and she walks into her bedroom. And she lets out this blood turtle <laughs> scream. It was so awful. She was so upset. And she was she wasn't she was crying, but she was also furious. And I mean, she was chucking shoes at my brother, just anything she could get her hands on. She she's throwing them at him. So the horrible lie part of it came in. It came. It was in one word. Was I was asked, "Did you help with this? <laughs> Were you part of this?" And my no. <laughs> convincing thing I've ever said in my entire <laughs> life. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, it depends on your definition of part of. <laughs> <laughs> Just 
Yes, did I tie the nooses? Yes. Did I know what he was doing with them? No. Oh, it was just terrible. My <sighs> sister still has not forgiven us for this, by the way. <laughs> uh, but I'm also like immediately more... reminded of that little girl in um, that movie, uh, Meet Me in St. Louis, the one that buries her dolls. They all die of terminal diseases. Tootie, I don't know her name was Tootie, and she and, and and she buries her dolls in the backyard, um, and there's a little like there's there's literally a little cemetery of her dolls that she's um had died of terrible diseases, and she, and they're I think they're going to move, so she insists that they all be dug up so she can take all their dead bodies with her. Quite that bad. Oh, we were Beat just, me in St. Louis. That's wholesome family fun for you right there. There. <clears throat> we were the original wild children, especially my brother and I. Um, and my sister just got the, the bad the t- bad end of it. There was just, she was just close. She was far enough away from us in age. She's three years younger than me. Far enough away from us in age that she didn't, she didn't quite gel with us when we were really little. But close enough in age that she, you know, we're still in the same age group, you know. So it was just, oh, we just the things we put her through. So whenever these things come up at family functions, you know, the death glare still comes out. It's like, okay, she hasn't forgiven me for that one yet. <laughs> it's been 35 <laughs> years, but I'm still, I'm still, still on probation over the dolls. <laughs> I tell you, you guys are going to think I'm a horrible person by the end of that story because I missed all my sister's dolls. I don't know that um, I blame you for that. I mean, you were just doing your thing. You were just doing you. He was the one with the nefarious purpose. Oh, he was. That's definitely how I would have spun it. Look, I'm just a sociopath around here. I was just tying knots. I'm not the one that lynched her entire doll collection. (laughs) He needs therapy. (laughs) I just had a hobby. Dolls are creepy, especially Cabbage Patch Kids. I actually had such a hate-on for Cabbage Patch Kids, how they were just the weirdest-looking things in the world. And I was glad that I was old enough um, to be saying I'm too old for those when they were (laughs) first on the market because I was like, what the (laughs) hell is that squashy-faced, ugly thing? And you want me to believe it came from a cabbage? No. I was young enough to want one, but I didn't want one. And I was like, no, I don't really think so. That's, no, no, I don't think so. Well, before there was Chucky, there was a host of stories and I think even a Twilight Zone episode to ventriloquist dummies, which I think is where the, um, where the real dolls or creepy thing comes from it's the dummies um, because they're dolls um, but they're more obviously because they have moving parts and you can stick your hand up their butt and make them talk um, I don't know technically their butt but it's still creepy as fuck um, and um, I think that that's probably the start of when dolls started to get creepy for people Mm-hmm. There's nothing creepier to me in this whole world except for a clown than a ventric than a ventriloquist. I, I can't. Uh, uh-uh. They're terrible. Uh-uh. 
The um, I don't know if anybody watches Face Off, um, but they did an episode. It was I, I managed to get through it, even though I hate clowns. Um, but they did an episode of Creepy Clowns, and the the method of death had to be incorporated into the makeup, the final makeup. And the one that won, as I recall, wasn't just a clown. It was a doll clown. Which is, which is like the worst of the worst. What's the worst thing? A dead doll clown. No. Mm-mm. I love Face Off too, but I have to warn people away who are not into clowns away from that episode because it's just, oh. Mm-mm. Someone asked if I remember when Cabbage Patch Kids came in a cabbage head. I actually don't remember that. I don't either, and I was really glad that I didn't. I'm, I'm not sure how I appreciate being reminded. <laughs> My favorite toy. My mom loves to tell a story of how me and my sister watched Chucky one night, and we go to bed, and she thinks everything is fine. Um, I don't know. Whenever Chucky came out and was on TV, I might have. Hell, if I know. Um, or it might have been out on video. I think they might have rented it. So it was the year Chucky came out on VHS, whenever that was. And um, Mom thought we were fine because we didn't have any kind of reaction to it. She gets up the next day, and every single doll that we owned was in the hallway, and we were barricaded in my bedroom. (laughs) And I do mean barricaded. We had put the dresser in front of the door. Now, how we managed to do that, because we couldn't move it back out, my dad had to climb in a window... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> to get us out of the room because we couldn't put the dresser back. It just, it, it just wouldn't slide the other way for some reason. <laughs> we, we we couldn't get purchase on it because it was up into the corner behind the door. Um, yeah, if, if we had magic, we had totally had wards. I mean, it was craziness, but my dad had to climb in a window to um, to move the dresser away from the door um, so, so we could get out. And we donated most of our dolls that year to charity. <laughs> I'm too old for dolls now. You probably never wanted them anyway, and you're like, now I've got a great excuse to get rid of them because it's like kids are traumatized by dolls now. I think they didn't like your gift, but they watched Chucky. Yeah, my sister, um, just my sister's daughters have a whole collection of dolls, and sometimes you walk into their room because they share a room. And there's three of them, and you know. They're eight, twelve, and they're they're eighteen and thirteen. Um, so the the dolls run the gamut, you know. And the thirteen mm-hmm. year old doesn't have as many dolls as she used to, but she just but but she she still has a few. Um, and it is creepy as fuck because they'll they'll make up their beds and they put the little dolls in a row on the back of the bed uh, up against the wall on all three beds. <laughs> yeah, that's not a room I'd want to go into. And I'm like, first time I went in there, I came back out. I said, no. <laughs> My sister said, what? I said, have you looked in there recently? Because she had rearranged the beds so they were all up against the wall, right? The same wall. So you walked in, and the, all three beds were up against the wall right there, foot to 
front, foot to front. Um, and it was just like big, and they were in rows. So my little friend has a whole bunch of dolls. And she walks in and she went, oh, Jesus, and came back out. She said, I had no idea they were doing that with their dolls. And she shut the door real quick. She says, uh-oh. sister beyond beyond our um dislike of dolls we 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 love poltergeist the first one despite the little oh clown God. jester terrible doll thing we love this movie right and we were watching it and we really didn't think about it the kids were running in and out all over all over the house and place and we were talking and then, um we um she calls me in the middle of the night she says you would not believe my kids and i'm like well, what's happening? She said. She said they couldn't sleep, and they made their dad take the door off the closet <laughs> because they were afraid something was in it. Then they made the dog sleep in the closet. Now they have a pit bull. He's a big old thing. They bring him into the house and put his bed in their closet, so he'll sleep in their closet, so nothing else will get in there. It's been a year. That dog still sleeps in that closet with the door off the hinges. <laughs> That's his bed as, as far as he's concerned. They don't even keep their clothes in it. <laughs> it's just his bed. I think there's some boxes in the top, and that's it. Dolls it's the dog's why bed. That doll episode on Criminal Minds is like the creep, one of, well, probably one of like three creepiest episodes. It's in my top three creepy episodes of Criminal Minds ever. Is the one with the living dolls. The other one was the living marionettes, which yes, basically dolls. Yes, those two are the creepiest for me. The the marionettes and the living dolls. Um, and then Mr. Scratch, you know. Mr. Scratch, definitely. Mr. Scratch definitely makes my top five. Um, my top five would be the two, the marionettes, the living dolls. Um, Mr. Scratch, and then um, the two episodes with the pig farm. Okay, so I would pick the Marinettes, the dolls, the living dolls, Mr. Scratch, and the two episodes with um, the guy with a split personality that that's, him, that's himself and his dad. Uh, oh, yeah. The one that the, uh, Spencer. Yeah, 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 yeah. I know which ones you're talking about. But his dad's horrible. actually dead in the freezer. Um, mm-hmm. And then he gets that Spencer and takes him to a fucking cemetery. Those two are for me. Mm-mm. <laughs> Hankel. Thank you, Willow. Um, Tobias Hankel. Tobias Hankel. Um, those two episodes and those three I mentioned are my top five. And really, anything that Matthew directs, you know. It's like it's like he goes through all the scripts and goes, okay, this is the creepiest one, so I'm going to direct it. <laughs> can I have this one? And they're all like, yeah, dude, it's really creepy. You can have it. <laughs> the, the pig one is horrible. I mean, it is truly, genuinely horrible, but I don't think it's creepy to me. I mean, it, it's not creepy because I've read it. It's not even, well... It's been done. I mean, that's actually based in reality. That has happened more than once um, that pigs have been used that way. So I don't see it particularly as creepy. 
I, th- I see it as one of the more realistic Criminal Minds episodes, um, but I don't necessarily see it as, um, I don't know, it just didn't strike me as creepy. I don't know why that, I, it, it, that one bothered me a lot. I think it was that moment when they found all those shoes. The shoe part, yeah. yeah I was I like, pretty oh, horrible. Yeah. oh, pretty oh, horrible. I can't deal. <sighs> yeah, okay, so don't want to give everybody nightmares, so... No more clowns. No more dolls. <laughs> trying to think if there's anything going on in the world that's not horrible. No. <laughs> I know. It's, I mean, not, it's just like... Not. I posted a new prompt on um, the workshop forum for those of you who are interested in that. You did. I, I did. A, I it's called a... Revenge. Oh, Revenge. Mm, that's a good subject. Yeah, I've already written one. I'm fixing to start beta. I'm fixing to do my my own personal beta on it, and then I'm going to post it. And I've already got an idea, idea for another one. So, is due south in my wheelhouse? Um, no. I'm sorry to say I've never actually watched a single episode of Due South. I think um, that's an episode or two. The The delete date for Rough Trade um, is October 1st. Just remember. <clears throat> you can always find that information on the front page. If you um, look, it has all the dates for um, deleting throughout the year. If that's a problem or an issue that you have, I am 200 members away from 13,000 on my main site. If, it has, if that's something you'd be interested in knowing, um, it's like 200 of you get out there. Yeah, um, uh, Lady Holder mentioned that some that she'll read. I I, I read I read in quite a few fandoms um, that I actually have never seen, um, but I don't feel competent to write in a fandom that I just have no familiarity with it outside of fanon. Um, that's just I know some people, some people can do that. They can pick up a fandom that they only have fanon knowledge of and run with it. But it's just it's not something I can do. So. Um, I've I've read more Do South than I've even seen the show, um, and there's there's quite a lot of uh, fandoms that I do that with where I'll read a story or I'll get into some characters because of a crossover or whatever, um, but without any exposure to the canon, it's not something I would ever write. She stopped talking when I had a mouthful of brownie. <laughs> <laughs> Shit timing. Um. I've read a few Deucehouse stories, um, but not many. I did do it. I did write The Awakening before I ever saw a single episode of The Sentinel. That's true. You um, did that purely from your knowledge from reading other other stories from Fanon. Yeah, it's something I've never been able to do. I don't think... 
flailing about well, in your mental. Well, I have plenty of people that would tell you I didn't do it successfully. <laughs> oh, fuck them. <laughs> For all that you oh, wrote, you know, Blair, completely care. different. You had the essence, I mean, completely different in his circumstances and how they met and all that stuff. You had the essence of Blair better than the majority majority of those bitches who watched every episode. So, no. <laughs> Get the double bird. Yeah, I have to be careful though with my double birding because my my poor thumb is 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 sore. You know, I have to be careful with my double birding. <clears throat> Um, there's a whole segment in the Sentinel fandom that thinks fair sh- that Blair should be written as a 12-year-old girl. Um, and if you stray from that, they get really bent out of shape. And I didn't know this until after I'd already done it. And if I had known this, I'd have still done it, but I'd have put more effort into it. I'd have put my back into that shit if I'd known. Yeah, if I'd, I'd known that, that, Blair would have topped in The Awakening. <laughs> I'd have really, I'd have really put a lot of spite into pissing you bitches off. I oh, um, she told me before. I decided this week that to me, I you know, I like the designated crier, the cliche twelve-year-old girl, you know, that whole thing. Um, I thought was my biggest pet peeve. I've decided it's actually infantilizing characters. Um, that's actually, I don't run across it very often, but every once in a while. And I don't mean infantilizing like fetish, like a, like the fetish fetish thing. I'm talking about constant crying, need for cuddles, um, like, you know, taking the designated crier to um, a baby degree. <laughs> it's like a, a toddler who's teething or something like that. Um, that's, I I started reading a story this week, and I was just like, what is going on here? What the hell? Everybody is a baby. There's like one not baby and two babies. <laughs> I'm like, I cannot tell you how many NCIS stories I have closed because Tony bursts into tears. Yeah. Or he throws a dramatic drama queen fit. And what bothers me most about these stories is they're written by people who'd be the first one and probably did join in on that bandwagon of bashing that one author for writing him as a Navy SEAL and writing him out of character. You know, the same ones that did that shit to that writer are the same one that writes Tony like he's a fucking four-year-old. Mm-hmm. You know, I got called. And if you're one on of those the, um, assholes that ran that author out of fandom, and you don't write Tony as a um a toddler, feel free to let me know. <laughs> Email me. I'd love to have your name. Just saying. I would indeed. Um, you know, um, because we've talked before about Tony throwing tantrums. Um, when we don't like it, you know that. It's it's out of character. It doesn't make any sense. Tony's really, for all that he's very expressive, he's also very emotionally reserved um, with anything that's real and important to him. That's Tony Cannon. You know, that's the way he is in the show. Even with even with the fact that he's the most schizophrenic character in the way he's portrayed on the show, um, he never is forthright about the things that bother him. 
anyway, so we've been we've never been shy about how we feel about um, um, Tony having tantrums. So someone called me on that on my um, um, one of my EAD excerpts and said that I had written Tony having a tantrum, and how could I bash other people for doing what I have done? Well, um, what? <laughs> I wrote. Uh, it's it, it, it sort of. It could arguably be like a little standalone short, but it really was intended to be the start of a, a story. But I wasn't quite certain which direction I was going with it. Which was impetus. It's the one where Tony comes to work in the middle of the night and gets the evidence of what happened, the dead air stuff, and leaves his resignation. And Gibbs comes and confronts him the next morning, and they get into a fight. That's an argument, not a tantrum. Yeah, so that, that they interpreted it because Tony got angry and expressive and yelled at Gibbs that he was throwing a tantrum and that I was writing what I criticized. And I was like, and they called me a hypocrite. And I was like, oh, fuck oh. you in your eye, whoever you are. Um, I don't think that means what you think it means. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> These are not the droids you're looking for. I'd be more than happy to show you a whole bunch, but I can't because that would be author bashing. Um, but if you take your ass over to fanfiction.net, you won't have a hard time finding a story that has Tony sewing a genuine toddler-like tantrum where he cries and throws shit and um, blames everybody and whines because he didn't get invited to dinner. Terrible. Now, granted, I do agree that her not inviting him to a team dinner was petty and mean. Mm-hmm. But honestly, I think that's the most in-character moment we get from Ziva. Mm-hmm. The person who needed to deal with that, so either t- I mean, from my perspective, Tony could deal with that in a couple of ways. One, he could come at that situation and just confront it with Ziva, which I don't think he would do publicly. And just say, you know, I don't know what you're trying to pull, but do you really think I care? Or just say something. But the person who really makes the most sense to deal with that is Gibbs. Is if it needs to be if it needs to be dealt with at all, um, she's trying to isolate a member of his team, and that's something that's on him to deal with, in my opinion. Um, if it needs to be dealt with at all, but you know, for the most part, it's just. <laughs> It's so high school, you know? But I've seen a lot of writers take that moment, that small, petty moment, um, as an opportunity to turn Tony into a complete and utter drama queen. Or a complete emotional wreck. Now, does that happen before or after Boxed In? That was Boxed In. Oh, it was, wasn't it? Oh. Mm-hmm. So, of all the events in that particular show, the one where she disobeyed his orders and shot him, not being invited to dinner is where he loses his shit over? Right. So, with the crying thing, I don't want people to get the wrong pressure. I, I had Tony cry in, like, three or four of my stories at least. Um, honestly, if people can't understand the difference between 
someone coming to a breaking point and like losing it for a minute and just breaking down sobbing at the drop of a hat, then, you know, nothing I'm going to say is going to explain the difference. <laughs> I had John cry in, in what might have been um, in the very first not the very first. Um, it was in the episode where Rod, where Rodney was kidnapped. Um, and it's a very small moment. It's very low-key. Um, and if you don't read carefully, you'll miss it. And that's the point. Because that's part of his character. I mean, he hides his face when he does it. He doesn't want... It, it's a very emotional moment for him. Um, and they never speak of it. Because it would make John deeply uncomfortable, and that's you know, I don't know. I mean, I think anybody can be pushed to tears. Anybody, whether it's, sometimes it's from relief. Some people get teary just when they're like when it's over and they're relieved that they survived, and they get a little their eyes get a little wet. You know, whatever. It happens to everybody. Or the Seahawks lose. You know, these there are, there are. Strong feelings there. Um, <laughs> the Seahawks lose. <laughs> but, you know, it's like there's a difference between someone who is just a relatively strong character who just has no ability to regulate their emotions. I mean, when I see that, I actually kind of want to go, are they have some kind of hormonal imbalance? Because I mean, that's the someone that's just that's the only thing I can attribute. Um, he's out of their yeah, I'm a crier on my period, which means I have a hormonal imbalance at that point. Because come on now, or when I get really mad, I cry, and then I get mad, I'm frustrated because I'm crying, which makes me cry more. But that's part of my personality. That's just part of who I am. That's not part of Tony's personality. No, he's so he's so contained with the emotions that matter. Um, I am super, super emotional when I'm mad. When I'm hurt, I kind of shut down. But when I'm mad, I cry. I do, too. I can get so mad that I just... The last time I got called on is, will you stop crying? Stop going to the problem. I said, I'm not crying because we're fighting. I'm crying because I'm frustrated that I can't kill you. <laughs> <laughs> And it was the most truthful thing I said during that argument. It's still upsetting that I couldn't kill him. Truth be known. I ain't mad. Now. But I still regret that he's living. <laughs> no regret. That's what it is. I, um... I you, you do you get sometimes you do get that frustrated you get that like you have all these emotions emotions are impetus for action and when you can't act your emotion emotions emotions you know I tell people emotions aren't facts emotions are telling you to react they're telling you to do something and that's not always logical it's not always right but they are there to prompt you to do something. Um, and when you can't, it can be the most frustrating bottleneck. 
it's like I'm supposed to, you know, I have this horrible, these horrible feelings of rage. I'm supposed to be acting on that. You know, the, you know, the, there should, you know, I, I'm so angry. I, sh, you know, my emotions are saying I should be lashing out. And when you can't, or when you, you know, uh, when you police your emotions because you know, as grown-ups we have to learn how to do this kind of thing, you, you know, it, those emotions are still there. You're still all bottled up and frustrated. And it can be too much, and it can become, um, you know, the, 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 those tear glands start to work, and you just have no control over it. And then, you know, honestly, when I get mad and I cry, it's really embarrassing that I'm crying, which makes me even madder, which makes me cry even more. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, my God, I can't believe I'm crying. Sometimes, this is horrible, sometimes when I get really, really, really embarrassed, which almost never happens to me, but, like, really, really, like, so embarrassed, like, you can barely function, I actually will, like, my eyes will start to get wet, and I'll get that kind of tear response going on, and I hate that it's over-embarrassment, because it's not, it's not like I feel so awful about it, or whatever that embarrassed me, that I'm driven to tears, it's just something about that not being able, because something about embarrassment is just something you can't get out. And when it's really Frustration. Intense, yeah. It, it, when it's really intense, it's like, oh, my God, I'm going to cry. And then it's like, I don't want to cry. That's even worse. It's like more embarrassment because I got, it's like, oh, it's terrible. <laughs> I get what you're saying, though. It's, it's really difficult to deal with. Um, I don't handle it at all well. I find it easier to um, work out anger, you know, let it to let it go, just okay, you know, just kind of, then embarrassment. It's one of those, you know, emotions that just, you know, and it can, if it's something really horrible that you got embarrassed over, it can rise up years later when you think about it and just overcome you, and you're right back in that moment. And anger doesn't affect me that way, but embarrassment, it's just. I still have the moment about being on an airplane. I was 13, I think, maybe 14, and my skirt was tucked in my pantyhose. And I got up from the bathroom at the back of the plane all the way to my seat at the front of the plane, and no one said anything. I mean, it's been... 30 years, and I still am horrified by that memory. I'm horrified on your behalf. You know what I hate? I hate secondhand embarrassment. Oh, like, it, yeah, when you, especially like, you get, you get that at the movies sometimes, where it's like you can't even watch because what's going on with the character is so horrible. I cannot watch somebody else being embarrassed. I will get up and leave the room if I see it on TV. That's why I really don't like those a lot of comedies, but I cannot stand it. I cannot stand to have someone be uncomfortable in front of me. It makes me, it is overwhelmingly uncomfortable. I don't watch comedy movies in, um, with the exception, I I did go see Ghostbusters, but I heard that it was a very body positive movie, so I didn't expect there to be any kind of humor at their expense, you know? Um, As I recall. No, no, but I hate it. I hate it. I hate that stuff. I, I don't like. I don't like Jim Carrey. I don't like that other dude, Will Ferrell. I don't like Will Ferrell either. Um, I just. I don't. I can't say. 
I can't handle it. It makes me deeply, deeply uncomfortable. It is it's terrible. There's something about embarrassment that just... Um, it's one of those, you know, I just rarely will even write in... Um, like a character like being publicly humiliated in any kind of yeah. fashion, even mm-hmm. if they even if they deserve a dressing down and it's embarrassing, it's not going to happen publicly because I it's just you know it's something that I find makes me uncomfortable and doesn't matter how much I dislike the character, odds are I'm not going to do that. So um, I need to pause myself a little bit. So keep talking. Okay. Um, Wow, embarrassment's a horrible subject. I got really embarrassed earlier today. Um, oh, God. Actually, I can't even tell you guys. It's too horrible. It was too horrible. It was just, you know, sometimes you misspeak, and and you meant to say one thing, and, like, something else came out. And, yeah, Lady Holder's laughing in the chat room. She knows exactly what I'm talking about because she was on the receiving end of my um, horrible moment. Oh, all right, I'll just up to what it was. Um, so what I meant to say, <laughs> I was responding to Kira about something. Lady Holder was there too, and Kira gave a really big thumbs up to something, and um, like a really big thumb. And I'm sorry, I'm trying to find the exact verbiage, so I don't. <laughs> Um, Lady Holder called it enthusiastic thumbing. And I said, and what I meant to say is we need enthusiastic birding, but what I actually said was we need enthusiastic fingering. (laughs) Which, oh my God, as soon as I hit enter, I saw the word pop up on the screen and... (laughs) We need enthusiastic fingering, and I just went, "What? No, no, <laughs> that was like the best laugh I'd had all day." I want you to know. <laughs> I was in hysterics, but I was cherry red. It was just awful. My face felt so hot. I was like, "Oh my god, I'm burning up from <laughs> red lady holder." That we need enthusiastic fingering. <laughs> well, on the for real. I can't say that I don't. <laughs> I mean, we all need enthusiastic fingering, just not in group. <laughs> yeah, that's one thing that's really interesting about men and women. I have never masturbated with other women. But I think that circle jerk thing is kind of true for men, right? Men have done that? Oh, yeah. <laughs> what is that? Is there a man in the chat room? Can you answer that? Have you ever jacked off with a group of men? And if so, why'd you do it? Was it a contest to see who could jerk off first or to see who could last the longest or to see who didn't find it homoerotic? <laughs> Let me know. Let a bitch know because I don't um I have I've never done it. <laughs> so I'm just curious. What's the What's the thrust behind this? Fill me in. You can send an email. I won't use your name. Or you can send an anonymous email. 
time, sure. Someone just said my husband was on a submarine and he has some stories. I bet he does. Wow. I just don't. Men will compete over anything. I think that's the, that's the takeaway from that, from that circle jerk thing, is that men will will literally compete over anything. So I sat here googling. You know the um, <laughs> one of the first hits on. Um, why do men like to masturbate together was this article by Vice about examining the pull of group masturbation parties. I'm sharing this with you bitches. I haven't read it yet, but is it a really long link or something? No, it's not. I guess that is the way it ends. So I'll have to I'll have to read that later. I'm not going to read it right now because that would just You're be You're hilarious. Rude. Examining the pull of group masturbation parties. I know. It's fabulous. It's just lovely puns. Barbara says they want to see who's the biggest. Because um, some men are definitely growers, you know. I mean, it's like, hey, that was unexpected. <laughs> And, you know, to me, that's kind of like a party trick. You know, that I wouldn't mind. It's like, I don't really care about the whole group masturbation thing, but get a bunch of growers together, it's kind of like, huh. Party tricks. Oh, <laughs> Just how my gosh. does that get? <laughs> Listen to this. Um, I find genitals to be very erotic. Ten out of ten, he says. For me, I like being, I think being exposed and on display is very erotic. It's knowing that others are admiring your genitals as they mutually get off on it. It gets better. My participation is always privately in organized groups through masturbation networking sites. There are masturbation networking sites? Why don't I know about this? I feel like I've been lied to, Internet. You've misled me. You've, you've, you've been hiding things from me, Internet. We're going to need marriage counseling. We have online wanking groups, too, where guys wank on a group cam. I do this a few days a week. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. There is a long-standing jerking institution, Melbourne Wankers, in Australia. Australia's only formally organized group masturbating club. The club is known to play host up to 100 men furiously masturbating at once. For $20 a person. For the $20 admission fee, participants have access to a bar, towels, lockers, lubricant of choice, grapeseed oil is freely available in squeeze pack form. (sighs) Who knew that... I don't... I don't even... This is not even gay. No. no. Two-thirds of the participants in Melbourne Wankers are married. This so the, the versatile husband, the so-called guide for men in heterosexual relationships who are interested in sex with other men, explores how these men make the decision to have sex with other men. 
So is, does this circle jerking count as sex with other men? One explanation is this guy could be could identify as bisexual, but doesn't. Maybe he only has relationships with women, or maybe because he's never actually done sexual stuff with a cock, but he just likes to see them. You know, <laughs> I I gotta stop. <laughs> I just I feel like my right. worldview is suddenly changing, and I don't know how to incorporate it yet. But if you don't touch somebody's genitals, if you just watch them touching your genitals, it's not sex. Wanking groups. There are wanking groups. There are masturbating clubs. And I did not know this. How did I not know this? This is actually kind of sexy. How did I not know the sexiness was happening? I, We're gonna have to, I'm going to have to figure out a way to get a masturbation club. <laughs> into a story. I want to know why I've not been invited to one. I mean, I'm a girl, obviously, but I I think they underestimate how much money they could make if they invited girls to watch. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like I said, party tricks. If my husband said that to me, Jeep, I would whoop his ass. <laughs> The end of the article is, but the scene's taboo status bodes well for its participants because it's so odd and unusual, it drifts along quietly in its own way, and that's exactly what the married man and groups want. Wow. Just wow. Okay. We're helping to bring you guys out of the closet. It reminds me of that joke that Ron White tells about we're all a little gay. And he told his cousin this, and his cousin says, I'm not gay. And he says, oh, yeah, do you watch porn? And the cousin says, yeah, of course I watch porn. He said, well, do you like porn with men that have tiny little dicks? And he said, no, I like big, hard, throbbing cocks. (laughs) (sighs) Apparently we're all a little gay. You're all a little gay. But, but you know, it's really interesting because in het porn, you don't see guys with little dicks. At least I don't. I mean, I I can't even pick out one where um, the main guy, the main guy getting all the pussy, has a small penis. I'm thinking. Well, you know, I read a story once where, <laughs> and I felt, and I kind of, I kind of questioned myself afterwards, but the. The the protagonist in the sex scene, which there's been no mention of genitals up until this point, and I think the story would have been better without a mention of genitals. Um, the but his um, penis in the sex scene was, you know, one partner gets a hold of the other um, partner's short, slender penis, and that's the way it was described. Those words, short, slender penis, and I went, what? And I stopped. <laughs> I stopped. I couldn't go any further. And I went, I think I'm skipping the sex scene. And um, I kept seeing mentions of the size of this smaller penis throughout the sex scene as I was skimming down. And I thought, I'll just go on and keep reading the story. And I try to keep reading. And now all I can think about is the rest of the story. I was stuck on short and slender. I was like, what was it, a pencil? 
like a pencil nub? I don't understand. And then I was like questioning myself. I'm like, why did that matter? Why did that? It's just, I don't know. In, in, in our erotica, we just typically don't fetishize. I think there, you know, there, I, there are some um, stories I know that, that do fet. Clearly, this was one where it was fetishizing um, small penis, but it just it wasn't not my particular kink. But I did really it did give me a moment to pause and go. This you know I kind of had that moment, that rational moment, and I'm telling myself logically this shouldn't matter, but there's this, you know, screaming voice of preference going, it does matter. Size matters. Of course it matters. This is my porn. I get to have a choice. Um, I had a friend get really upset with me once for saying that um, I thought size mattered. Um, And the thing is, and it, it goes like this, um, I am entitled to have a preference about the size of the penis that enters my vagina. That's right. And that's what I told them. I was like, this is my preference, and I'm entitled to it. You have no right whatsoever to be insulted by it. It is not a criticism of your penis. But he said, he said, well, if you saw my penis, you probably wouldn't want to have sex with me. I said, I already don't want to have sex with you. The size of your penis has no bearing. I've not seen it. <laughs> I don't care. I don't want to have sex with you. If you had nine inches in your pants, I still wouldn't want to have sex with you. So the size of your penis is actually irrelevant. He was still offended. White men get offended when you don't want to have sex with them. When you admit you don't want to have sex with them. Because... I had my cousin Stan tell me he wants. He goes, look, you know, most guys assume that women that they know want to fuck them. It's their assumption. I said, is it your assumption? And he said, well, I'm hot. And I'm bi, which women dig. I said, okay, that's two points in your favor. He said, and I don't lie, and I call when I say I'm going to call, and... I buy dinner. I said, don't, don't. He goes, no, but I do. He says, I do buy dinner. Um, And um, he said, no, I don't expect pussy when I buy dinner. He said, now, oddly enough, I do expect dick when I buy dinner. (laughs) (laughs) I said, you terrible asshole. He said, look, when you buy another man food and you're out on a date, you're getting laid. (laughs) He says, I have never gone out with another man where I bought dinner and I didn't get laid. This is just my experience talking. <laughs> and I was like, okay, okay. He terrible jackass. He said, he said, now, I don't get mad when they won't sleep with me. He goes, but I do have the assumption because I am hot and I do have money and I am bi and I am a freak that most women I know that I'm not related to want to have sex with me. <laughs> and I was like, oh, God, I can't believe I'm fucking related to you. <laughs> But then again, I can, because when I was younger and single, um, I pretty much thought the same thing about all the men in my life that I wasn't related to. I was really of the opinion that they all wanted to sleep with me. (laughs) (laughs) No double standards now. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, he's a good guy. He he really is. He's he's, uh, a whore, but, but, but he's a good guy, so... 
But he's not one of those. Well, it sounds like he's um, the one paying, so is he really a whore? <laughs> right. Only in the truest sense of the word. Um, it's very little. Uh, I'm very little-minded. <laughs> but he's also, but he also did point out to me, he goes, and when the other dude pays, I put out. <laughs> I, uh, I, have, I can honestly say I've never put out for dinner. But you, you know what he also once and he was drunk. He said, "You know what?" He goes, "Dinner is just a uh, an excuse to have sex with somebody and not feel like they're a stranger." <laughs> <laughs> hey, I can do that with coffee. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh. You know, it's weird. I sit here thinking of all the men I know right now—not men I used to know, but like right now—there's not a single one of them I want to sleep with. There you Poor go, as guys. a job, as well as a lifestyle. There, there you go. <laughs> now we know. Headcanon accepted. <clears throat> but, uh, no, I mean, no, me neither. You know, obviously, except for the one I'm married to, but, you know, just in general, no. No. But I'm at that age now where, honestly, I'm thinking, sex and shower or sleep. <laughs> and sometimes, <laughs> sleep with. I'm like, ugh. And if I have sex, I have sex and shower, to... then I'll be hungry afterwards and I'm out to have a sandwich. But I can just go to sleep and I don't have to deal with any of that hassle. <laughs> saying yeah sleep sleep is sleep is winning more often than not my fan off from my radio show and it's killing me it's so hot in here oh is mine can you guys hear mine no i think that is a no 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 okay uh, I, I, I usually no. i usually try to turn mine off i usually i usually remember to turn mine off but um i um well you, you put me on my after i got the fly out of my nose <laughs> <laughs> a little discombobulated, so. <laughs> well, mine's loud, so I have to turn it back on. So I have to turn it off because it, it, it drives me crazy on the feedback um, when I listen to my shows every once in a while. Um, yeah, well, it sounds like a wind tunnel. Yeah, it, yeah, it, it, it drives it was, me insane. It was hot as hell today here too, and I yesterday I didn't realize we had a, we had a big temperature spike, like twenty degrees. Um, oh. Overnight, it was like you know it was like in the low 70s one day, and the next day it's 91. I was like, oh. And the thing is, I hadn't looked at the weather, so I didn't know it was coming. So I had the doors open, windows open, like I usually do, and it's like, two, also it's like 2 o'clock in the afternoon, and I was really intent on something, and also I'm like, I'm dripping sweat. What the hell? Am I having a hot flash? What's going on? And I realized that, and so I, I get up, and I'm like, oh, no. It's like, I don't either. I, and I couldn't tell. I'm like, am I having a hot flash? 
Is it hot? And so I checked the weather, and it was like 91 degrees. And I was like, oh, what what the hell? Yesterday it was like 72. I don't get it. So. I have a um, question. Mm-hmm. Would you consider Jenny Weasley a major character or a minor character? Minor. Okay. Guys in the chat room, what do you think? Major or minor? Major character death rule on my big short, and um, I killed Jenny in my short that I'm <laughs> writing right now. I was like, "Huh, does she count as a major character?" <laughs> I just broke my own rules. <laughs> you know, the funny thing about the funny thing about major character death is I never quite know what to do with it because there's two ways you can interpret major character death: major character in the show, or major character in the story. Right. I think in a fandom sense, it typically means major character from the show, like one of the main characters from whatever the source material was, the book, the TV show, the movie, whatever. Um, But I get just as upset if the major character in the story was a minor character in the... the, um, If you got me attached to the story, if they're the major character in your story, regardless of their attached what they their status was in the show or the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I get just as upset when they die. I mean, they were the major character in the story, right? So it's like, I, oh, I'm like attached and like, oh, they're dead. What the hell? <laughs> um, that's not good. So I never quite know what to do with the, um, you know, do with that. So, like, you know, I'm going to, there's, there's a story um, I'm working on where Diva's going to die, and um, I'm not sure if I disclose that as major character death, but she plays a very small part in the story, or disclose it as death of a minor character. <laughs> I don't know what she's like, well, how do I work for that? Because she's not major in the story, but she's definitely a major character from the show. Um... Ziva fans should not just, be reading my shit. Put, you know, I'm just, you know, that should just... Ziva like, dies like, in your warning. <laughs> let's yeah. decide if she's a major or a minor. Ziva dies. Speaking <laughs> of warnings, I'm like... I've been working on my plot for my November story. And um, I decided to take a look at... Um, I was like, well, what are my warnings going to be on this? I don't know why I started thinking about the warnings, but I did. I started thinking about the warnings. And the warning list got to be ridiculous. And I was like, do I need to warn for that? Yeah, probably. Um, And it just, it was like, you know, mass murder, violence, um, like threat of rape, um, imprisonment, kidnapping. (laughs) Like the story isn't as dark as my warning list is making it out to be. <laughs> but I started writing, so I'm going, what the hell am I writing? Just trying to come up with a list of warnings. I was like, well, I probably should warn for the mass murder. Yeah, that's probably a good idea. I should probably warn <laughs> characters from the show are going to die. Yeah, that's a good idea. I should probably warn there's going to be several mis- several people are going to have miscarriage. Yeah, I should do that. I should probably warn some people are going to be in prison. Yeah, I'll put that. And then I get done, I was like, huh. Yeah, it's really not that dark. It, it's 
not, but this makes it sound like I'm writing a horror show. <laughs> Just slap it in seed seventeen writing lines. This would this 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 story contains it's material grown up. meant for adult audiences. <laughs> Shit gets real. <laughs> Shit gets very real. <laughs> what story was this? It's my November story, my shifter story. Oh, oh, oh. And I was like, and then oh, I started gosh, to you. Oh, know how to phrase my warning, everybody dies? That would do, that would work. <laughs> um, I do wonder if I should warn for body dysphoria. Maybe. I never write Maybe? gore. I don't ever write gore. Since I should, I should want warn if I got gore in there. I never write explicit, explicit no, that I don't way. Write like, either. Um, no. But I probably do need to warn for. Um, well, it's an apocalypse. There's an apocalypse. But you know, you could just say it's, it's post-apocalyptic, and if you can't figure out that bad shit's going to happen, or did happen, I don't know what to do. I'm on the fence about the body dysphoria because I can see it coming up, and I don't know if I should warn for it or not. I don't think it's something that I would warn for. Um, but you know, it's one of those things where you could say, if you're an especially sensitive reader, you can write me, and I will give you a more explicit list of warnings. I don't know. Like. I don't. I don't ever like. Okay, seriously, mpreg is not something I normally warn for, but I will put it in the category because it's it's a niche kind of you know category that not everybody wants to read. But Tony's not male in the story, so I don't have to tag it as mpreg, and I'm not going to. And I'm expecting an epic shitstorm over it. You're gonna rock, girl, Tony. No, he's an omega. He's an intersex. He's third oh. gender. He's oh, awesome. got a dick and a vagina. I am super excited already about this. Because, <laughs> you know, I have an it's, idea for one. You and I have discussed it going to get all length. up in all of that. Yeah, we have talked about that. And you, I, I love your idea, too, and especially some of your ideas around it. No, 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 Tony. No, it, he's I, don't have... the, I don't think body dysmorphia actually qualifies. Um, but I have, um, I have some issues about whether or not. Um... Well, what do you mean you're not excited about my story? What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> they haven't heard your story yet. <laughs> How dare they? How dare you, Zan, not be excited about all my shit? You should even have to know what I'm writing to be excited about it. <laughs> Just get all up excited. It's it's gonna be grand. Mine um is a departure from what I normally write. Um it is um 
it's a it's a big departure, I think. Don't you think? Yeah. I kind of don't want to tell you, but I, I really want to tell you because I'm super excited about it. So I think I will. Okay, my idea is it's post-apocalyptic. Said it right? Um, mm-hmm. And humanity has been on the brink of extinction for a couple hundred years. And so in the late... Around 2030, they started harvesting people. Their mental mindscape, so to speak, and they're holding them in big data banks. And around the 3,000 mark, there's a new. Um, this is going to be this is a Stargate cast, but there's going to be no Asgard, no Stargate, none, none of that. It's just going to be the Atlantis crew, um, and they've developed a way on their own to do this uh, to harvest the personality and the memories of people as they die. So around the 3,000 mark, what's left of humanity is living in a biodome. And most of the world has died. And the biodome can't get any bigger. And um, the glaciers are moving. And they do not have the ability to stay on. They They cannot stay on Earth. So they build a ship and they leave. And before they leave, the last of them sacrifice their humanity. So they're all in a digital format. And they take care of the ship, the ship in cycles. And the ship makes a synthetic body and downloads the personality into that body. And 3,000 years pass, and Rodney's cycle comes up, and Rodney wakes up, and they're on the brink of finding their new planet. And that's what my, um, and Rodney has to pick his team to explore the new planet and to find out if this is going to be their destination or if they're going to have to start over and, and, and pick out a new target. So that's my idea. Um, well, the Vulcan Katra is basically the soul, the human soul. And so it's not going to be soul um, based because that's a religious theme. So it's going to be a, um, a digital imprint. Oh. It's going to be so epic. So, yeah. And my story is called Synthetic. I am still flailing about for a title. <laughs> I've heard, like, everything under the sun and, like, nothing is gelling. No, there won't be a VR. They sleep. And only the ones who are currently in synthetic bodies are awake. So everybody else is asleep. I think anything else would cause insanity. And they couldn't cope. Because it's it's a very long trip where they're going. Right, because it's 3,000 years from Earth to their new um, uh, location. Because I had to... My my husband helped me with my science. I had to pick... um, a method of travel that would keep them safe, keep them ultra safe because they're it. They're the last of humanity. There, there is nothing left 
left on earth. It's just them. So they had to pick a method and a way to travel that was the most safe that they possibly could be. So they build a ship inside an asteroid. And that asteroid keeps them safe. And they're directing the asteroid through um, ion, uh, ion propulsion, um, which is why it's taking so long. Because they're only traveling at one-fourth the speed of light. And that's what's keeping them safe until they reach their destination. And once they get there, they're going to break the asteroid away and just have their ship but not until they've picked their location and everything is secure. And that way, they're safe. Look at her asking me questions about my plot. <laughs> <laughs> but I already said that they, that they cycle through, that there's a, there's a person living on the um, – there's crew every time. One person wakes up, that they, they pick their crew, they're – synthesized and woken up and they help maintain the ship then when their cycle is over they allow themselves to be reharvested their body is destroyed and a new set comes out and Rodney is the last cycle It's very different than what I've ever written before, so um, I'm curious if people are going to respond to it and how it's going. It does sound absolutely horrifying, yeah. Um, But the idea is just how far would we go to survive? Well, they only have synthetic bodies. There are no organic – well, they are organic. There are synthetic organic bodies, but – they are what they are. They've been um, the the best part is, is that they can be altered to fit the environment of the planet they choose because oh, all wow. the bodies are synthetic. So I'm still looking forward to this. So they can be designed to survive on the planet they pick. You know, on the day stronger, post, I'm going to be I, I'm going to be doing that thing of where I go. Oh. I want to stop and read now, but I need to save it be my reward for when I finish writing. I got to finish my writing, and I'll do that little tug that little tug of war with myself. It's like, but I deserve a treat. I can stop early. <laughs> now that's my my idea. My first idea was to do a um, basically. Uh, John was part of a um, exploration crew on Venus. And his mission is sabotaged, and he's in a life pod being shot back to Earth. But people on Earth are still trying to kill him, basically, because they don't want him to come back and tell the truth of what happened on the ship and why his mission failed. And Rodney is on a space station for Canada or Europe, um, and he's not part of the U.S.'s space program where where John is. And he realizes that that they're going to kill Shepard, and he saves him. And that was my original idea. It was basically a NASA AU. But I realized it was really too close to – it had too much Stargate and too much um, Earth, too much 
of our current reality Earth. And I thought, well, you know what? If I'm going to do a complete world AU, I'm going to fucking do a complete world AU. So I did. Um, and I loved your NASA idea, but uh, the, the synthetic idea is just amazing. When I first heard about it, I was just like, that is going to be incredible. I'm looking forward to trying it. Um, I might not be successful, who knows, but um, I'm looking forward to it. And, um, uh, It'll be really cute. It'll be really fun when John and Rodney finally meet because they haven't met. Um, John died in the 2000s, and Rodney died in the tw- in the 2500s. Um, so they were harvested at different points, and so they've never met. Um, and that'll be really interesting and fun. I think it's going to be amazing, just amazing. I'm so looking forward to it. I'm doing a kind of a re, um, um, doing my own original Shifter World, um, and I'm going back to um, the legend of Remus and Romulus and how they were found by the wolf goddess and suckled by her when they found her. They found she found them by the river. Um, and I'm gonna have Remus and Romulus be the first two alpha werewolves that the the effect of being suckled by the the wolf goddess was that it made them um like the first lichens and they were alphas. And that Lupa and her husband offered um their children, which are completely different species and gender, to be their mates, which they eventually called omegas. And betas came about from a few humans have a recessive gene that allows them to take the um, become um, werewolves from a bite from an alpha, and that's how betas get kind of and they start mingling with the um, in ancient Rome. And so there was you know that's that was the, that's my origin myth for um, werewolves. And um, Ultimately, by the time we get to modern day, there wind up being seven great werewolf nations, um, and they have you know they're, they're, each of them is spread out over the world for the most part, um, and so every country has packs from each of the nations, and they have special treaties and how they intermingle. And there is the original, but that original pack, the pack that stem back to um, Remus and Romulus. Were I'm calling them the Aurelians, and they remained the strongest werewolf nation uh, because they were the first, and all the other mm-hmm. nations stemmed from them. So there's a great conspiracy that I'm not going to explain because that's sort of the climax of the story, and almost all of the Omegas in the, um, it's the they call it the Great Omega Massacre, um, were murdered in the Aurelian um um, nation and because of treaties and whatnot with the humans, their growth, the growth of the growth of a werewolf nation in a pack is dependent upon how many omegas they have because omegas carry the pack bonds, and the typical omega can't carry more than about a thousand bonds. And when um, an omega dies or is born, the pack is allowed to grow or the pack has to shrink, and that kind of thing. So there's a whole big old world other on that. But so when um, there was a great inconsistency in that when, um, but it takes time for those packs, those those bonds to fracture. So 
So this is probably this would be in the mid seventies when this happened. Um and Tony was born in Omega to the king of the um Aurelian Werewolf Nation. So he would he would be the Omega heir to that nation. And he was slated to be murdered and somebody smuggled him out and out of the country. And he's raised in the human with humans and he's specifically raised by Ducky. So Ducky's going to be his foster father um, in the story. So he's going to be quite different because he's not going to have the same child origins. But his whole life is about figuring out, um, because because of the events I'm not going to explain right now, but the Omegas never really reemerged in that nation. They just started dying out. The few that weren't killed just started dying out. And... The assumption was is that um, the last Omega was managing to carry the pack bonds, but actually all the pack bonds had transferred to Tony. And so he's been carrying them his whole life, waiting to figure out this conspiracy so that he can go in and take over. And he comes to his moment, and he has picked a mate from another nation, and the moment when he has all the information he needs to expose the conspiracy about who was behind the massacre of all the Omegas in his pack, he goes to Steve McGarrett and says, because he's able to mask that he's an Omega, so everybody thinks he's a Beta. And he goes to Steve and he tells him what he is and he says, um, I want you to be my mate and I want you to help come help me take over this werewolf nation. And that's what they go off and do. Yay! I'm so excited. <laughs> so there's a lot of other stuff in there, but so they get mated. So Tony's not like he's not a male. He's not a female. He's closest the closest human analogy would be intersex, but in werewolf um, parlance, he would just be an omega, which is just a completely different gender. And um, so, yeah, it's going to be. This is one I mentioned a while back about I was going to do an Omega that only has heat after they're mated, and they can control when their heat begins um, so that it's at a convenient time and that kind of thing, because I had to get around that whole consent issue if I wanted to do an Alpha Omega story. So, It sounds like fun. If I were to put 007 worlds into the royals world, are are they too similar? I have no idea what the royals are. What are the royals? I'm vaguely familiar with the show, but not enough to know if they're too similar. If the royals is a spy MI6 show, then yes, I think it probably is too similar. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, if something is too similar, if you take, like, if you take, I guess technically you could, but if you take Tony and you put him in the CSI crime lab in Las Vegas and you make him a criminalist in Vegas, you've, like, done nothing different. There's just nothing different there. The point is to put yourself out of your comfort zone, in a way, and to expand your character um, based on their new circumstances and putting Q in a situation where he's working for another situation with MI6 or MI5 really is no different than what he's currently doing in the Bond universe. 
which is why I abandoned my NASA AU as being too close to what already happens on Stargate. It's about the royal family in England. So you'd make Q a royal. So that would be quite different. Just because they're both... That would be quite different. Just because they're both set in England doesn't mean that they're... I mean, you don't need to... I mean, Kira and I are both doing something where there's a lot of world building, but you don't have to go to that extreme. The reason that I picked to build a world is because I knew most people would not, that they would move towards the fandom um, movement. And that's perfectly okay. That's why I left it open as an as an option. But instead of doing that for myself, I wanted to um, offer up the members of Rough Trade a different perspective on on how that would work and what they could do, you know, um, because not everybody's going to be able. And, and you know, I don't expect anybody to go out and build a new world, have never done it before, especially during challenge, which is very stressful. Um, but I wanted you to see a different perspective. Um, coming out of Rough Trade and not just having everybody do fandom, which is why I left open the original world work as well. Right, somebody's mentioning that. Somebody's mentioned they're going to, you know, they're thinking about doing like Star Trek characters in Atlantis, and obviously they wouldn't be. You know, Vulcan, Spock wouldn't be a Vulcan or whatever. And that's exactly the, the nature of the fandom side. You're into the fandom as your world. That's exactly what you're kind of going for. Um, um, but, you know, I, I picked doing a whole world because, for me, it was the, a bigger challenge for me to um, construct something completely and have to go back. I mean, I've done something kind of creating a new world, but not to this degree. Um, but having to go back to even, like, you know, ancient history to figure out what this looked like and how it changed the world and what the social and political ramifications were and, you know, when the, you know, I've written, I've got all these notes about when the, you know, the great pack wars and, you know, and all this stuff. Um, and for me that was a bigger stretch and I wanted the challenge. Um, and if, but if there's two sides of this challenge, there's the world challenge, the, the world building side of it. The other side of it is the character. And if, if stretching the character is a really big challenge for you, like that's really difficult to extrapolate what is going to happen with your character, then pick the world building option that's easier for you. Don't double challenge yourself. You know I, that would be my recommendation. Um, I spoke to somebody who, and I had, you know, I had been going into that with the just emic viewpoint that world, building a whole new world was the harder thing to do. But I talked to somebody who's done complete world building many times, who's thinking about doing the challenge, and for her, narrowing herself into another fandom and dealing with another fandom canon would be harder for her. And she wants the challenge, so she's going that direction um, and you know it's just but if you're having an, an element of discomfort in some area don't 
don't double, triple up on the challenge. Nano's already a challenge. If the character side of things is really is going to be a real stretch for you, pick the world-building option that you're more comfortable with. Is making Tony a magical cop too close? Um, putting him in a Harry Potter AU uh, would meet the challenge. Um, I would say it depends upon what you do with him and how he became a cop. If he's an auror, auror. That's why I said magical cop. I can't say that word. <laughs> that auror, whatever, that terrible word that she obviously didn't sound out before she made it. She goes, it looks good. It must be right. Um, I would love to hear her um, pronounce it. I want to know how she pronounces it. Yeah, Joanne, get on it. We want to know how you pronounce auror. Um it depends. Yeah, you know, it depends upon the character's journey and how they got there. Um, if you mimic everything in Tony's life, from, you know, he's got an abusive, you know, maybe if he's got a drunk mother, um, and an, you know, an absentee, dismissive father, um, maybe abusive. They all happen to be wizards. You're not stretching the character at all. You're just taking Tony and putting him in a new universe. Um, so, okay, so an example about extrapolating the character. And, Carrie, you can tell us this is a terrible example or not. Okay. But Canon and Tony is, um, he thinks about things, he makes associations in interesting ways. And one of those things is with movies. And, I, you know, I, I'm not certain if this is Canon or Fanon, but the reason why Tony is so into movies is because um, he used to, that's one of the things he used to do with his mother before she died. I think that became canon, but it, I could be wrong about that because that was later series when that was revealed, if it was, if that is the way it went. Um, but if Tony's raised differently, he's not going to have that experience. So he's probably not going to be the movie whore raised by Ducky, in my example, that he was raised by um, a mother who took him to the movies. It's her only form of giving him attention other than dressing him up in sailor suit. Um but he's still going to be Tony in his brain. His brain is still going to work the same way, even though he... So I, my plan is that Tony is going to, like, quote, classic literature a lot. Not a lot, not, like, annoying a lot. But whenever a situation comes up where he would normally go for a movie reference, he's going to go to a classical literature reference because that's the experience he has growing up is Ducky reading to him from the classics. Oh, I agree. Because his mind, because his mind still works in that fashion, even though he doesn't, his life experience isn't such that he's going to go to movie references. And that's what we mean by you've got to figure out what's core to your character and figure out how to make that work in a new world. And some of that comes down to it's not just what's core to them, it's also how they were raised and how their parents were. So if you're moving Tony and his dad and his mom into the Harry Potter world, you've got to figure out what all of them were like and what his childhood was like. And what did that, what, what, what house was he in at Hogwarts if he's in Britain? You know, assuming he's in Britain. Um, you're actually, if he is in Britain, how was his family impacted by the blood war? 
Right. Both were they dark or light wizards? Were they neutral? You know, um, did his family even survive the blood war? If they're uh, in he... Britain, Tony would have been at Hogwarts with Harry Potter. Briefly. Yeah, briefly. Depending upon if you go by the eventual canon date that was revealed for his birthday or by the construction of his date that most of us went by based upon his work experience. There's about a five-year gap between those two things. Um, but so could it work? You know, could you set up Tony's life experience to such that he would wind up going off to be an Auror? Yeah, of course. Um, but you have to think through something that would make sense that that's the logical outcome of his life, and it can't be just a mirror in the Harry Potter world because that really, I mean, I guess you could, but it just isn't meeting the challenge. No, but I mean, you, if if you want to have, um, if you want to use impact from the Harry Potter verse, um, you could have um, one or both of his parents killed by Death Eaters um, during the, the Second Blood War, which would lead him more toward law enforcement, or you know, because honestly, when I think about Tony in the um, Harry Potter world, my first thought was, oh, he played Quidditch. You're going to have to give him a, um, because if he does, I mean, if you said, um, if he married for money and connections, if his father married for money and connections and his parents are dead, Tony would have money. Is magical law enforcement the route he would go or would it be more, um, I'm going to get my master's in... Um, like law, and become a become a solicitor. Yeah, and you could do. I mean, what was you know, was he orphaned in the Blood War, and like Harry was, and maybe he was rescued from bad circumstances by an Auror, and kind of has sort of ide- idolizes um, his guardian, who is a cop. <laughs> I can't keep saying that word; it just feels ridiculous in my mouth. Um, <laughs> I know, right? Okay, so series timeline puts um, Tony Bourne when? They eventually they eventually copped out on a birthday for Tony and just made it Michael Weatherly's birthday, which is nineteen summer of nineteen sixty eight. Um, if you backtrack his work experience from when he started NCIS and his college years, he would have probably been born in seventy two or seventy three. So. Um, you know, I long before they revealed that birthday, his birthday being Michael Weatherly's birthday, um, I had decided he was born in '73. '72 um, is probably realistic, but then out of the blue, they came out and was like, "He's born in '68." It's like, what? Uh, so there's like five missing years of work history. What are you people doing? What was he doing during that time? And you could write an interesting story with those four years, four or five years. But, you know. Whatever. If you go with canon timeline, um, Tony would be 12 when Harry's born, so he'd be out of Hogwarts by the time um, um, Harry goes to Hogwarts. If you... 
used what I feel is a more realistic date, he could probably be a seventh year when Harry starts. You could make him be effectively Oliver Woods, right? The Gryffindor team yeah. captain. So if Oliver Woods, Wood was a fifth year, but yeah. Was he a fifth year? Yeah. But he could still be team captain. Oliver could still be around, but, you know, maybe Tony was a better athlete and he happened to be the captain. And um, There's all kinds of things you could do, but it's just, you know, you can't just, the point is, you gotta go. You gotta go back. You've got to figure out where your character came from, how they grew up, and you have to know what's at the core of them, so you know what your. Um, no, no, no. You don't have to use canon timelines. Um, no, but you have to give your character a foundation. But remember, when you're moving your character into a new fandom where they were born, um, their canon foundation no longer exists. So you have to give them a new one to stand on. Otherwise, they're standing on thin air, and eventually your story's going to fall apart. Right. Which is why you have to construct everything. And so you don't, like, I happen, I'm, I'm using what I, you know, the age I always use for Tony in my stories. Um, it's because I don't have any reason not to. But, um, you know, if I needed to make him 20 years younger, I would. And this is a circumstance where you can just go all up in that, you know. Um and like if you, you know, if you were to do your character in Star Trek verse, you know, contemporary character in the Star Trek verse, that they're you're moving them way into the future, and that's perfect. That's perfectly okay. You just got to figure out, know, know what the essence of your character is. Are they smart? Are they intuitive? Are they creative? Are they musically inclined? Whatever it is, and then figure out in this new world how the world would have shaped those traits and how they would have manifested. Because, like, Tony in the Harry Potter world is probably not going to have seen a lot of movies. I don't know what your equivalency would be in that kind of environment. Whatever he did with his mom would have probably had a big impact with him, assuming his mom was around. But, you know, you just got to figure all that out. You just can't start from the start of your story. You got to go back. Okay, we're down to 90 seconds. Um, but just, you know... Um, we can have some more shows on this if you, if, if you guys think that it would be beneficial. But the point is is that you really need to think about where your character came from um, in your new world and and build them from the bottom. And um, that's super important because otherwise you're going to end up with um, issues later on where your character doesn't feel real to you or to your reader. Anyways, that's our show, and we'll talk to you later. Say goodnight. Good night, everyone. Shut up and sit down.